0: And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert.
1: We welcome everybody back. It is J.C. and Morgan, the podcast you love, you anticipate, you desire, and you feel just a little bit better about the world in general after you listen at least i like to think so i know jc does as well mike morgan of espn sec network jc sherbert of 24 7 sports back with you as we'll be throughout the off season and of course the actual season here on the podcast to talk what you love the most college football jc how are you
2: doing good man um got some good news uh last week and uh about to make another move, I guess, (laughs) in my career, so I'm fired up about that, and uh, I'll have more details about that on the podcast later, but uh, let's just say I'm pretty excited uh, about the future, and uh, really a couple of opportunities, you know, I'm I'm, I'm writing a book uh, as well as uh, making a move, so there's a lot of good things happening here in Sherb Nation from the uh, sports writing standpoint. I mean, we've been talking a lot about the acting stuff I do and stuff like that, and that's all great and that's going well, but um, it's good to kind of, you know, have some things happen with regards to to my roots and, uh, you know, what's basically been my life's work, uh, kind of uh, some good things are happening as far as that, so I'm ready to roll, Uh, um, you know, it's kind of a tricky show here, tricky good show, because there's just a lot to talk about around college football all of a sudden here on May 21st.
1: Which is, what they, which is what everybody involved in college football wants, right? It's what everybody in every sport wants. You want to make it a year-round talking point, right? I mean, the NFL kind of got that started. The NFL managed to spread things out on the calendar, and, of course, it helps when you have your own television network, and it also helps when you're the, the most dominant uh, sports league. But we talk NFL year-round, we being, if you're a fan of pro football, There's always something going on from the season to the postseason to the combine to the draft to free agency. Uh, A little bit of drama never hurts. You'll have that. And then before you know it, you're back in August and you're in the preseason. College football, the season gets longer and longer every year with the playoff now. And then you have recruiting and then you have spring football and then you have transfers and then you have controversial NCAA rulings. Before you know it, you have fall practice and then the season's going. Now we have this kind of a bombshell, and I think everybody is still trying to know how to handle it, to process uh, how it's going to affect college football, and that is, of course, sports gambling, no longer illegal nationally. Now, there's been a lot of things that have been said uh, on talk shows and other things that I've listened to since this broke about a week ago that are just quite frankly incorrect so just to try to offer a little bit of clarity let, let's start first start here this is going to be a state-by-state state issue so don't expect casinos to just be popping up on every street corner um this is going to be handled in many ways this mirrors the way the rules have changed concerning marijuana right i mean all of a sudden you saw obviously the federal government uh, less and less concerned about it states becoming more and more concerned about making it legal in some situations and in some places. And, of course, Colorado, I guess, kind of leading the way there. And and it's just become more lax. I don't put those two things in the same boat. My thoughts uh, typically on sports gambling have been this should have been done years ago. I just don't see harm in it, and I know you can always point to the degenerate gambler who loses his house, his car, and his family's life savings. We could do that with almost anything, and unfortunately, that happens whether it's legalized or not. For me personally, uh, this This is not quite the game-changer that people think it's going to be because you and I, JC, we know people, particularly if you're in the Southeast— People gamble on everything throughout the world. If, if we were in uh, Europe or Dubai, good luck finding somebody who doesn't gamble on soccer. I mean, it's just people go crazy about betting on soccer. In the States, we don't do a whole lot of that now, do we? And we don't bet a whole lot on baseball. And most gamblers will tell you basketball, even if you love the game, is a sucker bet because a guy hits a meaningless three uh, in, the, in the final seconds to cover a 12-point spread and you just lost your money. But football, by golly, it has always been a really good sport for gamblers. And you know, currently in South Carolina, I know currently in Atlanta, I know hundreds, thousands of people that every week gamble on college football. And they do so, quote-unquote, illegally. I play pickup basketball every week at my gym here in town. One of the guys I play with, and I will not mention his name for obvious reasons, is a bookie he's a he's a a a husband a father of three he coaches uh little league soccer and he's a fine upstanding citizen but if you want to place a bet everybody knows he's your guy and uh i was asking him last week i said how is this going to affect you and he said something interesting and this is the point and i'll i'll toss the baton to you jc he says it's really not going to affect him a whole lot. First of all, we have no idea in this specific state. I'll use Georgia again as an example. How, the, how it's going to be legislated. Are they going to be... States like Mississippi, they're already all in. I mean, you're going to be able to bet on, on college football in Mississippi from what I understand this coming season. But in the state of Georgia, for example, don't know. But even if it does, even if they open up a couple of casinos, let's say Savannah, I don't know, has a, a gaming book, or even Atlanta for that matter um you are going to be taxed okay there is already a national tax like when you go to Vegas and you went a bed or you, you place a bed the, the casino has like i think it's a 1% federal tax when you get the local folks involved there's going to be another a local tax let's say a quarter of 1% whatever it is half of 1% in other words it might be cost prohibitive to do this in a more sanctioned legal environment as opposed to keep going to your guy down the street who's been good to you for years, where if you want to place a hundred bucks on LSU to cover the 13 on Saturday night, you kind of feel good about that. So I don't know if, and and the other thing is, I'll just leave it at this. And then I, I promise I will toss the baton. If you're not a gambler now, like if it's just not for you and it's not for me, I'm not a gambler. I work hard for my money, and I I get way too stressed out when I gamble. And that's even if I'm in Vegas. Like, I don't feel great about gambling. I don't enjoy it the way most gamblers should enjoy it. Uh, But if you're not, I don't think this all of a sudden is going to turn somebody into a gambler. This is for people that already enjoy doing it, and there are a lot of them on college football. And now perhaps they will have an easier, more legal way of doing so but I would just caution people that think this is going to completely change the landscape in the next 12 months uh, on gambling on college football. That's just my take. You have the floor, sir. Yeah,
2: and I think, you know, some of the hot takes out there, we live in a hot take world, and, you know, a lot of it's, you know, a lack of understanding about exactly what's going on. You're right. I mean, what this does is, you know, Mississippi already has a bunch of casinos, you know, Tunica has several, which are nice. I've been to them several times. I have to. Two. Play yep. some blackjack and stuff like that. And I'm not a big gambler either. You know, I'll go have a certain amount and, uh, you know, go play blackjack. I don't play poker or I try not to do slots because I think that's just like, you know, flushing your money down the toilet. Um, but I'll play blackjack because there is some skill involved in that. And it's not, you're not just out there like another a lot of other games where you're just kind of, Throwing caution to the wind and, and luck of the draw and all that—it is, but you know there, there is some kind of strategy that you could employ uh, to be okay at it. Um, and I'm not saying I count cards; don't, I'm not that smart. So <laughs> don't, don't, don't think I'm Rain Man or something. Sitting
1: Rain here. Man Part Two with J.C. Sherbert—that
2: would that would be an outstanding, outstanding movie. Uh, anyway, <laughs> no, it, it's um. It's one of those things where some of the takes are ridiculous. I hear coaches getting asked about it, how does this change your life, all that. And it doesn't. Because, you know, they go through college football programs and big-time athletic programs in general because of some point-shaving stuff that's happened in basketball over the years. Um, Tulane had an issue, I believe. City College of New York, which used to be a powerhouse in basketball, had a big scandal as far as that was concerned. You know, they they really try to educate kids on, hey, you know, you you get involved with this stuff, it's bad for you, it's bad for us, don't do it, okay, just don't do it. you know And and there's a time and place, you know, if you're a college football player and you graduate and, you know, you're older and you go to Las Vegas for the NCAA tournament, say, and you want to play some of those games and and stuff and do that, that, that's no problem, that's perfectly legal. But while you're a student athlete, you can't do it. So I don't know that this necessarily is going to, you know, cause any scandals or, or, or add a layer of compliance or, or anything like that, because you can already do it. You can get online and do it, you know, with some of these offshore betting sites, which are making hand-over-fist money. And I think this is about money. I think it's about helping maybe – it sounds crazy helping the economies of some of these states that could use it tourism-wise. I mean, Atlantic City, New Jersey, uh, it, it, I, I enjoy going there myself, but its, it's glory days have long passed. And, and one of the reasons why, if you're going to get on a plane and fly from JFK or LaGuardia to Las Vegas McCarran International Airport and not take the train to Atlantic City or you're going to leave Philly and fly to Vegas is it, because – you know, yes, that you can bet on just about anything there, but you can't bet on sports, and that's that's also horse racing. Um, horse racing is a big gambling deal. Uh, you go to any sports book in Vegas, and there's some, two or three guys in there all day, you know, just playing the races and betting on horses, and uh, that's kind of how that is. So, you know, I, I, I think it's it's a it's a positive in terms of you know, like the state of Mississippi. You know, they they've uh, that's not a state that's rolling in cash. And they're certainly going to legalize it to help their casino business. Um, you know, Louisiana has casinos in certain parts of the state. Shreveport, well, actually it's Bossier City, but uh, and then New Orleans uh, and other spots. Um, you know, a state like South Carolina or a state like Georgia, which has a booming tourism industry as it is, you know, maybe not. Um, very conservative politicians uh, in this state. You know, North Carolina... Has two big casinos up there on uh, Indian reservations, and uh, I'm sure that they're lobbying. and, and In USA Today, actually said North Carolina was probably closer than a lot of states into getting it done. You know, they're going to lobby, and those places are good for the economy in Western North Carolina, and they're going to they're going to probably tightly regulate it but legalize it. And, and it's not this is not something that I think is going to become an epidemic. And it, 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 there's really no difference other than the fact that if you're good at betting on sports and you know sports, your chances of winning are much higher than if you're playing the numbers in the lottery. There's really no difference in those two types of things. And the lottery, uh, as states have evolved and, and instituted it, it's raised a lot of money for a lot of good things, including education. So I think this is a, is a positive. Um, I think the NCAA coming out and saying, okay, we're not against it, we're lifting the ban, uh, for championship sites being at places that, that you know, have gambling. I, I think that's them saying, you know, waving the white flag on the issue and saying, okay, but we would like for this to be kind of regulated and all that and all this good stuff. And, and look, that's fine. You know, it, you got to be 21 years old to walk into a casino anywhere in the country. And, and, and so, hey, you know, I, I think that's, that's a good age. And, you know, I, I don't think you're going to see ball players, you know, going out and playing games and, and and letting that impact sort of what they are doing uh, I think what it does is it maybe hurts Las Vegas a little bit because they kind of had a monopoly on it and uh, if you have a monopoly on something obviously you don't want uh, it to go other places and I, I think that's been a big part of it I think Nevada has done a good job of sort of uh, lobbying to make sure that it didn't spread but you know how much money is Las Vegas losing uh, every year? And I think the number was 150 billion, or bet on sports, and maybe five billion actually was bet in Vegas. So, so the, the lion's share of the money being bet, uh, it, it isn't going to Vegas. It's going to uh, local guys and uh, offshore online accounts and things like that. So, I, I think I think it's it's a positive thing just for, from a political standpoint. Uh, to where some of the, you know, some of these states are going to have an opportunity to kind of revitalize or, or add another level of um, uh, another carrot, I guess, for people to visit their casinos. Happy for the people in Gulfport and Tunica, obviously. Um, happy for the people in Cherokee and Murphy, North Carolina, where they have two big Harrah's of properties. Um, and, and, you know, they're going to make more money and it, it's going to be a more fun experience for those folks that, you know, maybe they don't like to play card games or the slots, but. You know, heck, you go put five dollars down on a parlay card on a college football Saturday. Um, that's a lot of fun for five dollars.
1: Yeah, just to pick up on a couple of things that you said. Number one, I've never understood this to be a political issue. Unfortunately, some some people have tried to do that. Uh, everybody that I know that gambles is across the board politically. This has never been conservative versus liberal, Democrat versus Republican. I know several Republicans and hardcore conservatives that are more than happy to drop 100 bucks on a college football game. Um, it's unfortunate, and I've made the analogy before years and years ago, there was a, <laughs> a governor race in the state of South Carolina over the lottery. That was the biggest issue. And the, the people that were opposed to it tried to make it sound like if you wanted a lottery, And you might as well be voting for Tony Soprano to be on every street corner with a machine gun and ready to fire off a thousand rounds a second because a lottery equals mass chaos. That was a ridiculous point, which, by the way, that guy lost the election because of it. And and the whole notion that gambling is going to legalize gambling, is going to drastically change society uh, and turn it into a life of crime and what have you, that That's to me, that's just such a and this is not a political take, because, again, I don't think most people in any party think that way. Uh, some people have tried to formulate the argument against it that way. And, and I don't think in this day and age, most people buy that. Secondly, you mentioned Mississippi. I've been to Mississippi. I've been to the Beau Rivage uh, a couple of times. I've been to tunica on a bachelor party and. If you've ever gone to Oxford, right, I think a lot of people's image of the state of Mississippi is what? The Grove, Ole Miss, beautiful, incredible setting in the Magnolia State. Well, to get to Ole Miss, typically what you do is what? You fly into Memphis, and then you drive about an hour and a half to Oxford. When you make that drive, there are parts of that state where you realize, oh, my goodness, this is a state that could use some money. Um, The education system there is, you know, it's been well documented. They've had issues for states like that. If you can get extra income through sports gambling, uh, all the more power to you, man. I mean, that's the way I feel about it. Uh, And and I think, like you said, Mississippi, some of these states already had, you know, the 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 missiles were, were pointed at the target. And they had the key ready to turn and and launch the moment that this this law passed through the Supreme Court, uh, or I guess I should say a previous law was kinda nullified. So some states are more prepared for this than others. Mississippi certainly was. Uh and so I they're gonna get it going. You mentioned Louisiana, Georgia, South Carolina. A lot of southern states I can't imagine Florida which <laughs> as one of, the more, uh, one of the more laissez-faire states when it comes to these type of laws. I can't imagine they're not going to jump on this as well. Um, look, we're not going to... This is another thing I've heard. You're going to go to a college football game and you're going to place bets at the ticket window. And it, it, that's not happening, okay? Uh, it, it's not going to be anything of the sort. We're not, it's not going to be like going to a horse track. The NFL is going to have a lot more ability to do stuff like that than college football. And I think even the NFL is going to be uh very cautious about that this is just simply the people that have been wagering for years and years and years and, and there are millions of them that do it for fun they're not doing it as a source of revenue or income uh, obviously there are a few whales out there that do that but for the most part people just do it for fun if you've noticed what's the most popular jc popular pregame show in all sports right now college game day college game day espn right have you noticed the last few years what they've been doing? If you watched college game day 10 years ago, they, I don't even think they were allowed to put a point spread on the, on the screen. Now, every game that you see is fonted with, uh, let's say, Virginia Tech at North Carolina. Weather, Virginia Tech minus the five and a half. And then you have a guy called the Bear, Chris Felica, who yep. I used to have on my talk show from time to time just to talk gambling. Um, and and he's become a major part of the show and ESPN was smart they realized you, to to pretend that that's not a big appeal of college football for a lot of people is silly okay to just kind of bury that and put it in the dark is it, it's just not capitalizing on reality and reality is even people that don't gamble want to know what the point spread is They want to know what Vegas is saying about the game. They want to know if their team is favored or if they're not favored. And if so, why or why not? So point spreads have been a huge part of college football long before this rule even came into place and long before people even cared about gambling. So I I just think it's finally uh, catching up with the times, to be honest with you. I think this is (laughs) you could make the argument this is 10 years too late, but better late than never. Um, I'm, I was happy to see it done. I don't think it's going to have a major impact on the games that we watch every Saturday. I don't think for the alarmists out there, uh, take a chill pill. The, the game that you know and love of college football is not going to be affected by this. Uh, the people that want to do wrong in college football have been doing wrong long before legalized gambling. So I, I don't think that changes a whole lot. The guys that are you know trying to buy off players, and you mentioned basketball scandals they're not worried about if, if gambling's legalized or not. <laughs> they they got their own racket going on. So I, if anything, I think it, it could actually bring it in a more uh, conspicuous light where it's harder to do stuff like that and it's more transparent and it kind of uh, cleans it up a little bit, for lack of a better term. So I'm happy to see it. Uh, don't think it's going to have a major impact right away, but it, it certainly will have some impact for a lot of folks that have kind – of, there's always that – you know, when I was in college, I did some of this. I did some gambling. And you have to go through some bookie. And there's a little bit of a dirty, grimy feeling when you have to do that because technically you know it's not legal, and technically you're, 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 you're involving yourself with a person who, quite frankly, you don't even want to involve yourself with, but he's the guy who's running the book. So if you want to put 50 down on Nebraska, then that's who you got to deal with. And you hope that if you win, he pays you. Uh, you know, you're not even guaranteed that when you're just dealing with a, a regular person as opposed to something that's sanctioned. I think now you, you get to avoid that. You get to avoid that feeling like you're doing stuff in the closet. And I don't think there's any reason people should have to feel that way if they want to just enjoy what people all over the world enjoy on virtually. And people gamble on everything, always have, always will. Uh, so I'm glad to see it happen. And i will I will just amplify the, the the previous point one more time. This is not going to dramatically change anything in two thousand and eighteen, two thousand and nineteen to the point where you have to be concerned about the health of college football.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it.
1: so. There is that. We've covered sports gambling, and uh, I already i am I'm, I'm placing 100 bucks on uh, Alabama to repeat. No, I don't know. I, 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 again, I, I used to have, like, you know, when I did a show, we'd call it the Unfab 5 Challenge, and we, we'd pick five games against the listener, against the spread. And I didn't – I love doing it, and I stood to win, win nothing. It's just fun to do for a lot of folks, and we'll continue to beat. All right, now off the, uh, off the gambling subject, as you mentioned at the top, there's a lot of things going on in college football. I wanted to mention this real quick. To our, our, uh, our boy there in Knoxville, Jeremy Pruitt, you know, by now, Tennessee fans finally can just at least rest easy that the debacle that was that coaching search is over. The residue of that is over. They got a guy who has the potential to be a great hire. As I've said before, Jeremy Pruitt, to me, when I look at his resume, it's very similar to what, say, a Will Muschamp was when he got the Florida job. And it could work one of two ways. It could be Will Muschamp 1.0, which did not work at Florida, or Will Muschamp 2.0, which is working quite well at South Carolina. We just don't know. But I think most people, even if that wasn't your first choice, even if you wanted Chip Kelly or what have you, a bigger name, you're not going to sit there and go, this is an embarrassing hire. This is not Derek Dooley. And for that matter, it's not even Butch Jones. It's, It's a solid hire with a guy that's a great recruiter, with a guy that has a background in this region of the country. And already he's kinda if you've noticed, he's in the headlines a lot. He's one of those guys that I really think is going to be impossible to ignore. And I don't say that positively or negatively. It's just a it's just one of those guys. That's his personality. You have the ultimate milk toast guys in Julian Jones, right? I mean, they were <laughs> there was nothing intriguing about anything they said or did. I mean, Butch became a punchline toward the end saying a lot of silly stuff that people that wanted him fired capitalized on, but for the most part, they're not headline makers. They don't move the needle. Jerry Pruitt, I do believe, will move the needle, and I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out. As it, I would say this, you know, milk toast can be successful. Nick Saban is not exactly a laugh riot. Okay, nor was Frank Beamer, nor is Urban Meyer, nor was Bob Stoops. You don't have to be the life of the of the press conference to be successful. You don't have to have an A-plus personality. However, if you want to get a fan base of a program that has been in the doldrums, charged up again, it it does help you in the short term. It it helped with Michigan, even though now that's starting to turn a little bit with Jim Harbaugh. Look at what P.J. Fleck did in a short amount of time at Minnesota. He's got everybody there jazzed. Uh, Lane Kiffin did this for a year in Knoxville. We all know how that turned out, but... it it, it is interesting to see what he's doing to kind of, uh, it's almost like a, Hey everybody, we're Tennessee football and and we're not going to be irrelevant anymore.
2: Yeah. And look, if you're Jeremy Pruitt, I think that's exactly what you have to do going into that situation. I mean, look, I I thought, I thought Derek Dooley won a lot of press conferences. I thought he was a funny guy, had a good personality, uh he couldn't catch a break and and i don't know that he was ready to take that job when he did um and now he's the offensive coordinator at missouri which i found fascinating but that's neither here nor there but you know there was all this stuff that happened with the orange pants and the you know the, the time he had to spend in a wheelchair toward the end of his tenure it was a bad bad visual and and, and Derek dooley They missed out on a lot of top recruits when he was there. He kind of had some folks that Kiffin left him that were good, but that that roster that Butch Jones inherited was not a good roster, as we all saw during his first couple of years. So enter Butch Jones, who signs some very highly regarded recruiting classes. Now, now let me tell you why that happened. First and foremost, Butch Jones and his staff, I think, were a little underrated as far as recruiting goes when they came in. A lot of them came in from Cincinnati with him, um, and he hired some other guys that were really good. Uh, on the recruiting trail. But but what happened to Tennessee then and, and why they were able to go out and get players like Josh Malone, um and Khalil McKenzie, who hasn't done a whole lot, but uh is still a was a five star guy, quote unquote, that they got. They got Shy Tuttle out of North Carolina and, and and some players, you know. Um is they were able to take advantage, Mike, of a lot of Tennessee legacies. McKenzie being one of them, um, sort of believing in the program again and taking a shot. And, and, and if you've got a kid that understands the history and tradition of Tennessee football, it's a lot easier, you know, when they've grown up their whole lives. And this, this applies to in-state players too. When they've grown up their whole lives, knowing what being a Vol is all about, it's, it's easier to land that kid uh, than maybe going to, to Texas and trying to beat A&M on a player. Or going to Florida and trying to beat UF and Florida State on a player, or going into Georgia and trying to beat Georgia and every other program in the Southeastern Conference. Um, and, and so I think I think Butch, on paper, you know, got some good players. Now, you want to talk about player development in that program? Not good. You want to talk about his plan on offense uh, that got worse and worse over time? Yeah, not good. Um, you want to talk about the culture that he had there? Uh, not good. And, and so Pruitt coming in, he has to do two. He has to do two things. First of all, he does have to go recruit. They're, they have to, you know, get their talent level. And I'm not talking about team recruiting rankings here because uh, I do think that sometimes those highly regarded classes are not necessarily classes that turn into. Uh, um, greatness, that, that, that's not something that normally happens. I think I think you kind of have to build it over time. And I always go back to Alabama and sort of their resurgent class. Uh, I believe it was the class of 08, Nick Saban's first full cycle there. Um, you know, when, when you kind of look at the players in that class, Mike, yeah, there was a big headliner in Julio Jones. Um, Big-time guy, obviously. But the, the Mark Barons and the Dante Hightowers of the world – um, those guys were were top 250 players, but they weren't necessarily your five stars, and they ended up being five stars. And the culture that Nick Saban established and, and the, 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 I guess, the inner workings of Alabama football, you know, facilitated a maximization process there with that class, and it happened quicker than anybody could imagine. Mark Ingram, by the way, was a high three-star guy. He comes in and, wow, you know. Um, and, and so I don't know. I don't know necessarily that it's about you know their recruiting rankings at Tennessee so much as it is getting guys who are talented who also can help establish a culture. Um, and, and I think you mentioned Will Muschamp earlier. I think that's one of the things he struggled with at Florida mm-hmm. because he he got a culture that wasn't necessarily healthy when Urban Meyer left, and they had a lot of really talented players, but he kind of had to recruit some other guys, you know, like a, like a Dante Fowler, for example, like a Sharif Floyd, for example, um, guys that were very, very talented but also who kind of were the types of guys. And, and you hear this term, um, I don't remember which coach said it, but it was a coach. He called, called a player an OKG, he our kind of guy. Hmm. And I think that's what Tennessee, you know, has to do. And, and so far, you know, they've got eight commits, Um, Lakia Henry, the number one junior college linebacker in the country from Dodge City, Kansas. I think he's a guy that can come in and help immediately. Uh, Jackson Lampley from Montgomery Bell in Nashville, Tennessee is a legacy player. His dad, I think, blocked for Peyton Manning. Um, it was a guy that maybe wasn't going to go be a Vol until Pruitt got there. And, and I think his approach, just being completely honest, you know, whether he's dealing with the media or, or saying what he thinks, um, I think that's going to help kind of change the, the the culture there because because Mike, you know, it, it's a situation where you know you had a guy talking about leadership reps and champions of life and losing to a a a five hundred South Carolina team and, and lost to Vanderbilt three out of four years. I mean, th- those types of things are unacceptable at Tennessee. I, I know every Tennessee fan wants to beat Alabama again at some point, and, and I know that's the goal. But when you're losing to teams that historically you have dominated, especially Vanderbilt, uh, and they did lose to Kentucky this past year, but they didn't win an SEC game, um, and, and those types of things bottom out, that's culture because there's no way that Tennessee team that lost those two games and blew their chance at the East uh, talent-wise were worse than South Carolina and Vanderbilt at the end of that year. Um, there's no way that Tennessee team last year, even with the problems they had, uh, should have gone winless in the Southeastern Conference. Um, and, and so I, I think that, you know, what he's done so far, the signs are there. Now, how good are they going to be this year? I don't know. I think uh, Killer Chris, the, the graduate transfer quarterback from Stanford, uh, was an immensely talented guy coming out of high school. I think I thought he was probably the number one quarterback in that class. Um, that's going to help solidify that position because I'm not sold on Garantano at all. Um, uh, I think they have to kind of rebuild some things on both sides of the ball, but I don't think they're going to go winless in the Southeastern Conference next year either. So it it may be a slow build. And I think Philip former in hiring Jeremy Pruitt, hired a guy that's a lot like Philip former. You know, Jeremy Pruitt, everything I've ever heard about him is ambitious. And I remember when he was the D-backs coach at Hoover High School in Alabama, and, and that was... That was two thousand four ish, two thousand five ish. You know, um, he's ambitious. He is an excellent recruiter as far as getting out and getting the job done. Um, you have to think he can evaluate talent pretty well because you look at some of the great players he recruited at Georgia that ended up being very good in the secondary. Obviously, at Alabama they had no shortage of good secondary players. Got Jalen Ramsey out of the state of Tennessee when he was at Florida State. Um, you know, so so I think that. You know, regardless of the star ratings necessarily that these guys have when they come to Tennessee, I think you could maybe have more faith in the evaluation process. And all of this, you know, getting back to kind of his personality and, and staying in, in the news and, and making headlines and stuff, uh, all of this kind of trickles down from that. Because in recruiting, a lot of times, you know, you're recruiting guys with you know 20 offers and, and a load of options and and all that, so you have to stand out a little bit. Not necessarily to get them, Mike, not necessarily to get the, the pen to paper because that's based on relationships uh, it's comfort level first and foremost that's facilitated by your relationships, and lots of things can affect comfort level, but relationships are number one and the issue is when you've struggled for as long as Tennessee has, you have to have an opening to develop those relationships and to get that prospect to comfort level and one of the ways you do it is by staying in the news and staying staying relevant and popular.
1: That's and I think that's exactly his mo is to to stay in the news, stay relevant. Um, that's something that Butch Jones and Derek Dooley were were not going to do. Uh, Lane Kiffin was going to do it <laughs> by basically talking trash to some of the opponents in the league. Um, I don't know. You could argue whether or not that was a great strategy for Lane. I, I know for some people Lane Kiffin is is still love there I I I never thought Lane Kiffin at Tennessee would be uh the right call at this point I I think you you made a sensible a sensible hire a logical hire you mentioned uh, what went wrong with for Will Muschamp at Florida uh, and, and everything you said was spot on the other thing I would add is he put a lot of eggs in the basket of one Jeff Driscoll, and Jeff Driscoll was not ready for the big time at a school like Florida. Now, later he went to La Tech and did great and actually uh, signed a pro contract. So, obviously, the ability was there, but he wasn't ready for 90,000 fans at the Swamp. That that can get to some folks. Uh, if if there's going to be immediate success at Tennessee, just like any other program, he's got to find a quarterback. All that other stuff is gr- is great up until the point – you can't throw the ball on third down and make plays in the Southeastern Conference. And then you're gonna. it's going to be a long year. So that'll still be a, a huge a deal as well. But uh, he, he's definitely making noise. He's making headlines. Look, you don't have to do that to be good. I mean, I covered a guy like Jeff Brom at Purdue. Uh, he's not making headlines. He's just looking to win games, and he's doing it. And he's going to be one of the hottest coaching names at the end of this year. But then there's P.J. Fleck, who does make a ton of noise and also backs it up. So you can, you can win both ways. This whole thing about the personality has to be a certain way to be successful as a college football coach. I don't buy it. I just think there's different ways to skin a cat, and we'll see how it works for Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. Um, there are some other guys that are, are, are making noise. You picked up on something that's been going on, I think kind of quietly, just because wasn't that long ago James Franklin was on the hot seat. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago where Penn State was like, we're not feeling this guy. Okay? O'Brien, we, we were feeling it. Uh, somebody else, we might be feeling it. But James Franklin, uh, he did some great things at Vanderbilt, but we're not feeling it. And then all of a sudden, we went from that to a guy that is playing for not just Big Ten championships – but for the ability at least to to get in that playoff and and be a national championship contender of course they had the best running back in all of college football last year and Saquon Barkley who's was kind of an interesting story how he got there in the first place but uh Penn State is a program that clearly is making some headlines in the offseason
2: yeah uh, you know you, you look at Penn State and look this has been building for a while under Franklin Um, I I think people just needed to be a little bit patient. You know, Bill O'Brien's a guy that, you know, I I think he's a heck of an X's and O's game day football coach. I I think that he sort of got, you know, them back to decent and competitive by just coaching his butt off. And they had Christian Hackenberg there who obviously was kind of up and down. Uh, I think what James Franklin did with changing his offense and of course uh, Joe Moorhead is now the head coach of Mississippi State but they're going to continue to run his system Um, and then Trace McSorley obviously has surpassed any expectations I always thought he'd be a good player but didn't think he'd be this good and you got Saquon Barkley and all that James Franklin I was in Nashville when he was at Vanderbilt and uh, he he spoke at our convention uh, with 24-7 sports Uh, got to know him you know I'm not saying we're buddies but uh You know I got to know him a little bit kind of you know what he put into that Vanderbilt situation Um, and he did inherit uh, what I thought was an underrated recruiting class two years before Bobby Johnson resigned Uh, and so he had some upperclassmen that were good he kind of pieced it together Uh, and Vandy when Vandy has won over the years they've done it by playing surprisingly good defense and Grinding and out and hitting big plays and all that, and that's kind of what he did. He won nine games at Vanderbilt two years in a row, I
1: which mean, may never happen again in our lifetime.
2: I mean that that was that was big time, and I I thought you know this guy's going to end up someplace bigger. Um, and he's from Pennsylvania. He, you know, he he cut his teeth at Maryland and and was going. He was the head coach way to get Maryland when the fridge was there. They just kind of went their separate ways. So he took Vanderbilt, and you know, I was like, this guy is kind of what Penn State needs. And, and I thought when, when O'Brien left for the NFL, James Franklin was the obvious choice and, and, and should get the job because, you know, O'Brien did a great job there, kind of righting the ship, you know, keeping it from sinking. Got some recruits here and there, that type of thing. But I was like, at this point, when you look at Penn State football, you know, and like we talked about Jeremy Pruitt sort of staying in the headlines and, and changing a culture, um, you know, I, I, I don't think – oh, they were very popular, uh, especially with Urban Meyer going to Ohio State, you know, that, that makes things tough. That division is brutal. You have Michigan to deal with. You have Michigan State that's on a – you know, a, with the exception of one season that's been on a tear, uh, and they that, that program's solid as a rock. Um you know, so, so, so you look at that, and, and if you're Penn State, you know how you've successfully done it over the years is you've landed talent out of Pennsylvania. You've been a big choice for players in New Jersey, which is a loaded state every year. And you've gone down into Maryland uh, in the D.C. area and, and gotten guys. Uh, and, and it's worked. You know, that's that's how Joe Paterno did it. They occasionally get a guy or two out of the south, and a guy or two out of the west. But, you know, it was New Jersey, Pennsylvania, that kind of thing. The northeast. Uh, where there are enough players to compete for a national championship year in and year out, that was kind of their MO. Well, Franklin's done that. I mean, Saquon Barkley was committed to Rutgers
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, early, Eastern PA kid. There were three backs in Pennsylvania that year. He was one of them. Um, I think most people thought he's probably three out of three. Uh, he was good, but, you know. Nobody, Why? What was he lacking? N- n- nobody expected Well, he, he was just kind of an under-the-radar guy that was, I, I think he was maybe in a small school. Um, and the other kid, Adams, who I think went to Notre Dame, w- was a little longer, had a little bit, you know, he was like a six-two, one ninety-five 195 guy, which always isn't good for a back. but, you know, he, he kind of had quicker feet and all that. And I'm just talking about that on film. Obviously, we were wrong about that because Saquon Barkley is not only a good player, he's a great one and one of the best backs, I think, in the last 10 years in college football. But you know, going and getting guys like that, um, and then James Franklin has such a dynamic personality. You know, when you hear him speak, you get inspired. Um, and that's a lot different than Bill O'Brien or Joe Paterno. And I think this is what this program needed. Um, you know, that they continue to sign top 10 recruiting classes. Uh, they got a high four-star back out of uh, Stafford, Virginia, and Devin Ford the other day. Big offensive lineman and Caden Wallace. I mean, you know, you, you kind of look at the guys they're getting and then you look at the guys they have gotten and all that, and, and they're rolling right now. And, and look, they were a, a contender last year. They were a contender the year before, and I think they'll be a contender this season. So credit James Franklin with bringing them back. And, and I, I, I am not surprised that, initially there were struggles and I'm not surprised that uh he could be the mayor of state college right now either I think that um that was kind of going to happen because I don't know that Bill O'Brien completely rebuilt that thing during the time he was there um so so there was there there was work to be done but credit James Franklin with doing it and and man I think uh you know Penn State's back and, and and I'm happy for that fan base because there are a lot of great people that pull for Penn State and just think that um you know, moving forward, uh, Penn State's going to be here for a while as long as they continue to do what they're doing.
1: Yeah, you know, college football has always been, this is not anything new, a a, a sport of the haves and the have-nots. Penn State has been a have for a long, long time. And Mark Emmerich and the NCAA, in lieu of the whole Sandusky debacle, did everything they could to cripple Penn State as long as they possibly could. Uh, some of those sanctions were overturned, as we know now. But at the end of the day, Penn State is back, and that that cloud that was over that program for a while, um, it really is somewhat amazing how quickly they've been able to get back. But it goes back to, to again, my theory, of, if you're a have in college football, you, you could make a bad coaching hire and have a dip. You could have a, a scandal, uh, like Penn State certainly did, one of the biggest of our time, and you're going to have a dip But if you're a true have, you're going to be back, right? I mean, look at the top teams we're talking about every year in college football. And, of course, Clemson has re-entered that ring uh, under Dabo Sweeney. But we're, we're talking about the same essentially, what, 15 programs every year? This is not like basketball or baseball. College football is the same hierarchy for the most part that it's been for, what, 20 years, 30 years, take your pick. I mean, we're still talking about Alabama, um, Southern Cal, you know, eventually Texas, I believe, will be back in that conversation. Florida, Florida State, you know, it, it, I think Florida will be back at some point. Florida State is. Georgia, Georgia never really left the ring. They just couldn't get over the hump, and now it looks like they're doing that and in the process of possibly doing it even more under Kirby Smart, Ohio State, Michigan, they've taken a dip. Uh, whether it's with Jim Harbaugh or not they're going to be back uh, it's the haves and the have not and, and then there's like that middle ground of you know 50 programs that can be good but never as good as the haves that that part that part is uh is kind of etched in stone for the most part i'm not saying there aren't exceptions i'm not saying if you're one of those fan bases like if you've never won a national title or if you've never been in the playoff that you never can get there it can't happen you know the, the stars can be aligned right, and and you can make a home run hire as a head coach, and all of a sudden it it flips in your favor. But for the most part, not a whole lot changes there. And, and Penn State it has been one of those programs, and they they're back now, like you said. And and I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. James Franklin deserves a lot of that credit. If he left tomorrow, let's say for an NFL job, Penn State's going to probably get a good coach to go there again. They're going to have a ton of money, a ton of resources, a ton of tradition. And they're going to be good for the next 50 years. That That's just the way uh, college football is. Some other headlines, JC, you know, uh, before we get to it, but it looks like LSU finally might have a quarterback. I want, I want to get your thoughts on that before I mention one of our proud sponsors. And of course, I'm talking about BP Skinner Clothiers, Brent Skinner and the gang over there at the shop doing an outstanding job. And, you know, it's it's this time of year where, thankfully, I'm looking forward to not wearing a suit anymore in you know 95-degree Atlanta heat. But what I've realized now is that they're really your one-stop shop for your clothing all year long because they have a great selection of casual clothes as well, shirts, shorts, shoes. They've got it all, and, of course, everything you can get custom-made, Everything in terms of the selection there is top of the line, but not top of the line prices necessarily. They can get you outfitted with belts, sunglasses, uh, dress sneakers. I don't even need to go anywhere anymore, anywhere else anymore. I used to be like, I'd have like a list of five different spots and I don't really like shopping. I, I dread malls. The malls are like the bane of my existence. I get dizzy after 30 minutes in a shopping mall. I just, I feel miserable. Don't have to do it anymore, and Brent will come right to you no matter where you're listening to us. Just go ahead uh, on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com, set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll fly to you, drive to you, take a train to you, whatever the case may be. He'll get you fit. He'll have all the right stuff for you, and you will not be disappointed. So go ahead and schedule an appointment today at your home or office, and go ahead and make the switch. Don't go to some retail shop. Don't go to some chain shop. Don't go to maybe a mom-and-pop shop in your neighborhood that just doesn't cut it. Go to the very best, and you'll be happy that you did. That's bpskinnerclothiers.com. All right, for years now with LSU, they've always got athletes, whether it's a Leonard Fournette or some other running back that's going to be a top-round pick or some other wide receiver that's going to be a top-round pick or defensive lineman or linebacker or corner or safety. So why are they not winning? Well, as we learned, it wasn't all less Miles' fault. They haven't had good quarterback play in a while. I, I look at LSU and I look at Florida in a similar boat in that respect. Programs that seemingly have it all but have not had good quarterback play for the better part of a decade. You think that now that could change?
2: Yes. Uh, they got a grad transfer in Joe Burrow, a state of Ohio kid that j- just couldn't beat out Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State. Um, I'm a big Dwayne Haskins fan. Saw him as a recruit out of the Baltimore area. Uh, big arm, big kid, athletic. Uh, Burrow just wasn't – it's not that Burrow wasn't good. It's just that, you know, he's in a situation where at a, at a program like that, um, if you have two or three big-time quarterbacks and, and one of them does not win the job and wants to go play uh, and he's an older player like Burrow is, as a grad transfer he leaves. Now, I thought he's going to go to Cincinnati. That was word around the campfire. He's heading down to play for Luke Fickle in Cincinnati. But um, the LSU opportunity for a guy like him I think is big. Now, this is not to say that Miles Brennan couldn't have surprised us all and, and been good uh, in the scheme of their offense this year. I think that uh, LSU, if you're the quarterback, I think Danny Etling, by the time all was said and done, you know, was not horrible. Um But Burrow, with with what they want to do, and and apparently Steve Amsminger wants to spread it out a little bit, run the quarterback a little bit, run some some of the RPOs that are very popular these days, you know, Joe Burrow is good because he can run a little bit, got a good arm, he's a smart quarterback, heady guy, um, great athlete in my opinion. I mean, this is a guy that immediately improves the quarterback room, which needed to be improved, and I think answers a big question. You know, provided he can win the job, you've got to come into a new situation. You've got to learn the offense, Um, LSU, and that's they're not going to kind of take risk and throw somebody out there that doesn't know the system, in my opinion, because they want to uh, they want to kind of you know win games, I guess, and they don't have an easy start uh, to their schedule this year. But I I think that uh, man, if, if you've got this guy and he could step in and win the job, it, it kind of changes the dynamics, Mike. I, I think with the talent they have coming back, um, if they can get him going and they can put points on the board, you know, they can. we can call them a contender along with Auburn and Alabama in the West. I don't know that any of those other teams in the West are going to win that division this year. Um, and I didn't think LSU was going to uh, until this happened. And if, if you think about it, you know, that there's a chance that they can go get it done um and that has to be exciting for for LSU fans who you know quite frankly I'm I'm sure you know feel like they need to ascend back uh to at least contending with with Bama um and, and Auburn and, and they 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 beat Auburn last year so it's not like you know they haven't won that game but you know they they need to I think they need to contend for a division pretty soon especially you know, even though it's only his second full year Ed Orgeron, you know, is a guy that was seen as a risky hire. We've talked about it. Um, I've kind of been an Orgeron guy. I know you haven't. <laughs> I uh, I, uh,
1: I love the guy personally. He can yeah. he could come over to my house and, and we could have, you know, get a case of beer and, and talk stories. I, I just don't know if he's the right guy for that job.
2: Yeah. And, and we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I think. This gives him a chance. I mean, you, you look at what they have to do this year, Mike. All right, they play Miami in, uh, I believe, in Arlington to, to start with. Miami's got a lot of players back. They're going to be a good football team. Uh, then a laugher with southeast Louisiana. And then they got to go to Auburn the very next week. So two out of their first three games, neutral site game with Miami, and then at Auburn. Um, they play Florida and Georgia from the other division. They do have Alabama and Baton Rouge. But, I mean, th- this is, again, and it's not a surprise being an SEC West team. This is not an easy schedule. Uh, and this is one where, you know, they could, they could take a few losses. I-, I think what Joe Burrow does, as far as what we hear right now, now he may light it up, he may not be the answer. But right now, I think just, this just kind of increases their chances of, of having a, a better season than maybe they thought and possibly contending in the SEC West.
1: Yeah, I I I look nothing bad can come out of this. If if he if he's not ready to take over the job and be an impact player, then you lose nothing. Uh, the, the grad transfer rule, which is a very controversial rule in, in both major sports, football and basketball, I, I don't think it has I don't think the way it was designed by the NCAA is actually being used that way at all. <laughs> and I think it's a major loophole in a lot of respects. Uh, and I, and I wonder if that thing is going to be altered at some point, but for now it is what it is. And if you can take advantage of it, particularly with a quarterback, go to it. And for LSU, that's going to be the issue. Look, if Ed Orgeron does not succeed, it won't be because he didn't hire the right staff around him. I mean, they have put a lot of resources into helping him into kind of propping him up because he's not a great offensive mind. Um, and I'm not sure if he's a great leader of men, but if you, you don't always have to have that. If you surround yourself with great coordinators, because they're calling all the plays. I mean, he's basically like Bobby Bowden was at the end of his career. He's, he's a delegator. I mean, he's not going to sit there and, and X and O you. Uh, but if you hire the right guys around you, and we all know LSU's always going to have athletes, always, then maybe they can make some noise. And The, the, the missing link, among other things, has been a quarterback. And look, even even without great quarterbacking play, they are able to to play for some championships now. Going back to Saban and, and Les Miles, who I guess Les Miles all of a sudden doesn't look so bad, right? Mm. Um, but I, I I'm certainly with you on. There's a lot of potential losses on that schedule in the toughest division in college football, and I, I think if if you're LSU, well, any AD usually has a. Look, a short list always ready to go. Anyway, I think that short list is—it's not buried in a pile of papers on on Oliva's desk. I think it's it's near the top, and the, the this is one of those situations. If it did go bad in a hurry, I don't think they'd even wait till the end of the year. But uh, if it if it's just a good year in Baton Rouge, I don't know if that's good enough to keep Coach O around because the expectation level is so high there. Maybe unfairly so, but it's so high. Just ask Les Miles. Winning nine, ten games a year is not good enough. Losing Alabama every year is certainly not good enough. Uh, So I I think that's going to be a very turbulent and interesting year in Baton Rouge. If I were doing like a hard knocks of college football where I could fall a team all season long instead of just the preseason, uh, to me the most intriguing situation in the Southeastern Conference this year could, could be in Baton Rouge. Uh, I, I think that has a chance to be explosive very very quickly, uh, for sure. Um, before we get into a, a, a little piece from our, our friends over there at Saturday Down South, pretty good college football website, any other headlines that struck you before we kind of wrap things up with that?
2: Yeah, I'll mention this very briefly. Clemson's had two transfers uh, this past week. One is sort of unprecedented five-star defensive tackle, Josh Bell, who had just gotten there and gone through spring ball. He's going to transfer... Give it an unconditional release, and he's probably going to go to South Carolina, which is way different <laughs> than uh, – I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that there's been a whole lot of transfers between those two schools. Um, you know, wanted to be closer to home, had some family situations, stuff like that. Thought that was interesting. And, and then in a move that I don't think was surprising at all, the Belk thing was surprising, uh, Hunter Johnson, the uh, quarterback out of Indiana, the former five-star guy by some, four-star guy by another, who played as a true freshman last year? Who's probably if something happened to Kelly Bryant, they would have probably gone with Hunter um, toward the end of the year, and not Zarek Cooper like they did in the Syracuse game. Um, he is uh, heading out, and, and this happens sometimes when you recruit really good quarterbacks and you stack them up back to back to back. Somebody's going to leave. Cooper left already. Um, Hunter Johnson's next. Uh, he's from Indiana. Uh, I think, you know, the two schools mentioned are Purdue and Northwestern right now. I would think that Purdue would probably be the destination. I've heard that for a while. Um, And he's the type of quarterback that Jeff Brom can do a lot of great things with. So, I mean, he'll have to sit this year, obviously. But then by the time 2019 rolls around, um, I think that Purdue situation would would be great for him, provided Brom stays. I mean, Brom almost got the Tennessee job last year, so we, we never really know. But I think that would be a good fit for him.
1: Yeah, yeah, good stuff there. And, um, and boy, I, I can't see Brom staying much. Uh, with all due respect to the fine folks of West Lafayette, Jeff Brom is going to be a huge, huge name by the end of this year. And, uh, and unless he is just so enamored with that spot, I can't imagine him not getting offered a bigger job that he would bolt for. P.J. Flex, another guy that could certainly be on the move because uh, Minnesota is one of those programs you can only do so much. Even though he, he he made some strides last year, I think the the coaching uh, names this year will will be intriguing because unlike last year, those names just popped out of nowhere. You know, this year they're already household names for those that have been kind of following all these coaching searches. Um, we'll wrap up with this. This is from uh, Saturday Down South. I always like to give credit where it's due and somebody comes up with something that is interesting in the off season. We can all talk college football during the games and have analysis during the season rather uh, and have analysis of the games. But this time of year, sometimes I think certain people just kind of manufacture stuff and just beat the same old drum. Again, how often can you talk about the Alabama quarterbacking quote unquote controversy Uh, at at some point you gotta, you gotta move on to some other stuff, be a little creative. Joe Cox is the uh, writer of Saturday down South and uh, just came up with some 10 sec numbers that he wants to see in 2018. I thought this was pretty good. The first number is 3,488. He says that's the one. That's one more than the Alabama record for passing yards in a season held by one Blake Sims. Blake and the, and the historic tradition of Alabama football and all the great quarterbacks that have come through. Blake Sims is your record holder. Um, he goes on to say, given what we all saw from Tua last year, if he can stay healthy, there's no reason to believe he can't. Uh, break that record. I would certainly go along with that. And even though Lane Kiffin's gone, Nick Saban has gotten off that ultra conservative playbook that every offensive coordinator had to play by those rules for much of his first successful period at Alabama. Since then, uh, he's kind of taken the shackles off a bit of his OCs and let them be a little more dynamic. And so, yeah, I, if Tua stays upright, and he remains the guy, then there's no reason why he couldn't throw for at least 3,500.
2: Yeah, I, I think so. And, and, you know, one of the things that gets lost is Alabama's recruited so well at wide receiver, and a lot of those receivers that made the plays in the championship game, and including the game winner, they're freshmen as well. So he's got a lot of targets to throw to. They're against stack at running back. Um, because he can run a little bit, of course Blake Sims could run too, so you know, we'll see kind of how it, it plays out. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't get the opportunity, but I, 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 you know, will it happen this year? Not sure. They're loaded, and anytime you have a loaded team, Mike, sometimes you don't get the big statistical records, um, like you do in a year where maybe you're just depending on the QB to do it. But is he capable? Certainly. And, um, I'm very looking, very much looking forward to seeing how he plays this season. To,
1: to that uh, same program, here's one that snuck up on me. Joe brings up the number three. Damian Harris is probably not quite going to end up as Alabama's all-time leading rusher. He needs 1,397 yards to do so. But if he replicates his performance of the past two years, he will become the first tied back to rush for 1,000 yards in three seasons. Does he do it?
2: Ooh, that's kind of a tough one because (laughs) I think they have a lot of good backs. and. They're smart about it. They don't. They don't really have a workhorse, and not that they have in the last few years either. I mean, it's not. That's not a deal where, you know, Alabama necessarily uh, doesn't rotate their backs. We all remember the championship game as well, and uh, a freshman from the state of California came off the bench and did some good things in that one, certainly at running back. So I, you know, looking at it for, from the standpoint of. Um, Will he or won't he? I, and I'll say this too: the, the older players for Nick Saban normally get their opportunity. Um, I'm, I'm gonna say he does. We'll see what happens, but I'm gonna say he does. Harris has Harris is different than a lot of the other Bama backs, and that he's you know he's not necessarily a big bulldozer. He's a fast guy, so he can he can put up a game, Mike. Where. Yeah, you know, maybe has four carries for seventy-five yards in a blowout. You know, yeah. And I, I, those, those are the type of guys that get that kind of statistical um, stuff done. You know, when you're playing on a talented team,
1: right? I, I, I see a lot of Alabama throwing early, building up big leads, and then just just wearing people down with that. Most of those, you mentioned that that championship drive. It, uh, a lot of those guys on the line were freshmen too on that drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got so many guys coming back that uh, they'll be able to just wear people out like they typically do throughout the year. So I'll I'll go with that. Uh, 3,278, a year after Jared Stidham became only the second Auburn quarterback to pass for 3K in a season. There's no reason he can't break Damian Craig's single-season passing mark of 3,277. I think this one's a slam dunk. I, I think Stidham's got a chance to put up really gaudy numbers this year. I'd be shocked if he didn't break that record.
2: Yeah, and he's not going to have that learning curve period that he did last year. I mean, you think about their game against Clemson. You think about their game against Jacksonville State. Uh, I think it was Jacksonville State where, where they kind of just – no, it was Mercer. Where, I mean, it was like a 24-10 to 10 ball game, and, and everybody's kind of going, what, what, what? And then he found his stride and got it. So there's no learning curve here. So um, <clears throat> second year in the system – uh obviously obviously I-, I think he has a chance to break that and boy Damien craig was a heck of a quarterback at auburn so that, he that, was. that that record stood for about 20 years uh as good as auburn has been at times uh they've done it with you know the, the two national championship appearances they they kind of did it with uh quarterbacks that, that used their legs a little more uh, and then Jason Campbell, you know, kind of was also that same kind of guy. Of course, you had Ronnie Brown and Cadillac Williams on that undefeated 0-4 team. So I, I'm looking, I'm looking at that as a yes heading into this season. Craig
1: was a lot. Of course, he's moved on to coaching now. He's a lot of fun to watch. I covered him uh, at Auburn back in my uh, my old days in Columbus, GA. Shout out to the city that never sleeps. Uh, the number zero. Joe Cox here. He says, Kentucky hasn't won a bowl game in its past nine seasons. The team would love to change that number this year. Uh, It's by far and away the longest drought in the conference. I think a lot of people would have said, what about Vanderbilt? No, Vanderbilt actually won one a few years ago. A bowl win is not the only thing on Mark Stoops' radar, but it would help his long-term job security. A lot of people fell in love with Kentucky last year. It did not exactly go according to plan. I think the, the, the breakthrough year that they were hoping for last year didn't exactly happen. Does it happen this year? Do they actually want a bowl game in 2018?
2: I'm going to say, I don't think they will. Um, cause I don't know that they're going to get to a bowl game this season. Ooh. I, uh, I, I kind of, you know, they, they do have 15 starters back offensive defense. They do have questions at quarterback. Um, I know they're going to have a good running game. Um, and defensively they should be better but I mean look this is a team that you know the the two years ago in 2016 they got off to a rough start and then turned it around at the end but the other years have featured kind of them fading a bit at the end you know so we'll see and a lot of times Mike it depends I mean all right. Let's say you go to the Independence Bowl and the ACC doesn't have enough bowl teams to fill the slots. So you end up playing a team from Conference USA or something like that. Obviously, you're going to have a great shot at winning. <laughs> you know, if you're Kentucky. Maybe you go play somebody else. Maybe not. But I'm going to I'm going to say I've got a lot of questions about Kentucky this year. That may not be fair i know they've beaten south carolina four straight years <laughs> um you know that's that's something that i think everybody in columbia thinks should change soon but they got to go to right. lex lexington this season so we'll see but i i just you know i i don't know I mean, sometimes your breakthrough year happens the year after you think it is mm-hmm. yep. but you know I, I don't know that i'm looking at it going man they're they're a team to watch uh, and that may be a good thing because everybody was talking about them being a team to watch last year and things didn't work out so we'll see ultimately what yeah,
1: happens. Yeah, they lose Steven Johnson at quarterback so there are as you mentioned quarterback questions. I wasn't a huge Steven Johnson guy anyway. I mean, I, I don't know how big a loss that is. He, he had some intangibles, but I think he was a pretty limited quarterback overall. They they do have talent at running back. They do have some talent in that secondary, believe it or not. They got some really like tall, lanky NFL Type West, corners, West, yeah. Wester
2: West Westry is really good, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got guys that could actually be playing at the next level there, and we haven't said that about a, about a Kentucky secondary very often. So, uh, it, it's possible. You know, it's it's certainly possible. I think they kind of sneak into a bowl game with six wins. You know, they're at a conference schedule minus Louisville is usually pretty weak. So, I think they sneak in. It's and at at that point, it's like the weaker the bowl game you're in, the weaker the competition. So I'll go ahead and say they break the streak. You heard it here 15th. I don't know. Uh, I'll say they sneak into a bowl game and pull off an upset. But uh, that's another number that kind of s- snuck up on me. The fact they haven't won a bowl game in nine years. It hasn't felt that bad in Lexington. is an interesting number. We'll do just a couple more before we wrap things up. Two to one. Last season, Florida's morbid passing attack was so bad that the Gators ended the season with a one-to-one touchdown to interception ratio, 10 scores, 10 picks. That is awful in college football where a good college quarterback should complete about 65%. Uh, So many of these passes now are a little dink and dunk. You don't ask them to make reads and throw it into incredibly tight windows. So to have a one-to-one touchdown interception rate and and at this level is just brutally bad. Uh, so it basically says if Dan Mullen hopes to have any kind of hopes to be any kind of factor in the East, Florida should hope to at least double that stat to a respectable two to one ratio, two to one touchdown to INT ratio. Let me be the first one to say as much as I respect Dan Mullen and I think he is gonna turn things around in Gainesville, I don't see that happening that soon. So I'm gonna say no on the two to one ratio.
2: Uh, I'm gonna, you know, statistics are, are so different and weird. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably disagree and go yes, but not okay. by not by much because uh, I think whereas you know the the offense McElwain was trying to run there is kind of set up for you know you you throwing interceptions at times if you make the wrong read it's a pro style system. Um, I think Frank, I mean frankly, I think Mullen is gonna keep it on the ground enough. Uh, and have a lot of those little tricky rollout touchdown passes they throw in the red zone, uh, to where that, that that number may end up. They may only throw ten touchdown passes again this year, but the interceptions may be more like four, five, two, something like that. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I know we're not dealing with. We're dealing with a uh, some enigmas. Uh, down there at that position and also a uh, a true freshman that may not be ready so yeah that obviously could be wrong but i I just have a feeling their offense is going to be so different and they're going to run it a lot more um which i think smart considering their personnel that that maybe those numbers are a little different i don't know we'll see
1: i i I think an interesting ratio would be how many rushing touchdowns versus passing touchdowns for their quarterbacks under dan mullen that would be yeah, I think you're gonna see a lot more running touchdowns than you've seen the last few years in Gainesville. I don't know how many I just don't ha I haven't seen enough to me it's not about the coaching here. This is about this is about the Jimmies and the Joes. And I don't know if they have the Jimmies and the Joes to 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 really clean it up that much in one year. If they do, Dan Mullen can walk away with that coach of the year trophy right about now. A couple more, this is an interesting one. Seven point six that was DeAndre Swift's yards per carry last year. Uh, Sony Michelle, by the way, averaged seven point nine. DeAndre Swift, for those that don't remember, he was the freshman out of Pennsylvania that kind of got overshadowed because they had the two senior backs, Michelle and Chubb. But this dude is lightning in a bottle. Reminds me a little bit of a Kamara type at Tennessee. It was underutilized in Knoxville. I don't think that's going to be the situation in Athens with DeAndre Swift.
2: Give me the over, baby. Ah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go under because I think he's gonna get a lot more carries this year, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a tough number to get. I mean, but like you said, Michelle averaged seven point nine. Right. Um, so we'll see. Certainly, uh, I'm with you. I think DeAndre Swift could have a special, special season. He's such an exciting player. Um, Georgia has a lot of confidence right now. Obviously, uh, you've also got Holyfield down there and, and some other backs that are really, really good. They're, they're not going to be hurting for running backs in Athens. But Swift is the guy that you could just see it at times last year when, when they were playing certain teams, especially if they were on the road. The other, the opposing crowd, they almost get nervous. You know, you get nervous <laughs> when he touches the ball. Um, and so I think that uh, I think that you know. That could happen, but uh, I'm going to say you know he'll get a lot more carries, and maybe that yards per carry, maybe it's six, which is still a great number. But yeah, uh, yeah, uh, that may be a little too high for kind of my taste on that one.
1: And of course, a lot of it will depend on exactly how they use him. You know, it is he an every down back? Can he take the pounding? Is he more like a maybe a CJ Spiller where you you try to get him in space, but you're not you're not insisting on on him running it between the tackles? He's not a short yardage guy. That. That remains to be seen. I'm not saying that's a fair assessment. He might be great at all the above. Don't know. That's how he was used last year. We'll see how they wind up using him this year. Okay, final one. You'll appreciate this one, JC, and uh, Gamecock Nation will appreciate this one. The number five, and no, it doesn't have to do with wins or anything of the sort. It has to do with one Debo Samuel, who, of course, missed most of last year due to injury. But he'll be back, and in, in his career, Debo Samuel has five receiving touchdowns, seven rushing touchdowns on 17 carries. He's returned three kickoffs for a touchdown. And don't forget, he threw a 33-yard touchdown pass two years ago. So can Coach Will Muschamp figure out a fifth way to get Samuel on the scoreboard?
2: (laughs) I'm going to say no because I don't think there is a chance – in Hades that he ends up being a punt returner next year <laughs> or, or I don't think he's going to be on a coverage team where he can kind of pick up a fumble and go. Um, so a fake so,
1: field goal, maybe.
2: Yeah. Fake field goal. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. You could do that. But um, no, nah, Debo needs to stay healthy. Cause I think these numbers yeah. would, would really in, increase and, you know, shoot in 2016 South Carolina had a bunch of freshmen on offense and, that, that end-around play that they run with him was probably their best play of the season as far as be, being able to, you know, one of those plays where you're going to score a touchdown more times than you aren't. Uh, so he's got the seven rushing touchdowns and all that. But I, I think, uh, you know, you kind of look for that receiving number. If, if he stays healthy the whole year, uh, you know, the, that number to maybe, maybe he'll get five just next season or more. Um, obviously, South Carolina's got some depth at receiver, but... Uh, you know that number's a little surprising given that he is a wide receiver by trade um you know but when he's been healthy the gamecocks have had other red zone threats and things like that but uh certainly you know will be fascinating to kind of watch him this season um again got to stay healthy but um he was off to such a good start last year man you, you kind of think that you know that that could continue this year but i'm going to say I'm going to say no. He doesn't get a fifth category, but all these numbers, again, if healthy, will increase.
1: I'll say no as well for the reason you mentioned. I mean, I was thinking punt return, but that that is a a spot where you can easily get a guy hurt, and you just can't afford to get him hurt again. The offense clearly took a step back when he was not in the lineup. Um, when he's healthy, he's one of the most exciting players in the league, if not college football. So, uh, I'll say I'll I'll take the under on that as well. There'll be a, a little bit cautious on how they use Mr. Samuel. Man, here we are, not a game played, not recruiting season. We already covered spring football, and we went over an hour. That's just... That's for the love of the game, JC.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, it's always fun to do that. So
1: Tell the folks again, if they haven't already figured this out, and we thank the thousands that have, how they can go ahead and subscribe and listen to us for the low, low cost of free each and every week.
2: Yeah, and I want to emphasize that too, because you say subscribe sometimes and people are like, Well, I don't want to pay any money for it. Well, you no, know, you don't have to. It's it's all free. You can go to iTunes and get the JC and Morgan podcast. You can go to Google Play. Uh, You can go on the Stitcher app, which is a podcasting app that's uh, really neat if you're a podcast listener and it's a growing, emerging, what we call an emerging medium. Um, And uh, if you subscribe on iTunes, I know that uh, on my iPhone, uh, whenever there's a new episode, I get a little alert. It says JC and Morgan Podcast has uploaded a new episode, and you can have it right there. Listen to it on your drive to work, home from work, long trips, airplanes, on the treadmill. A lot of people do that. And we certainly you know
1: for a man that that's it. like that's like a woman getting flowers unexpectedly. When you get that notification on your phone that the new podcast has come, that's like when the secretary tells a young lady, hey, we, we've got a dozen roses waiting for you. So I, I like to look at it that way. Oh,
2: yeah, I, I think uh, everyone <laughs> is in agreement with
1: that one. Uh, all right. So that's going to do it for us until next time. As always, a pleasure for J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for the J.C. and Morgan podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.